Okay, hi, hi, my name's Shane Brody. I'm traveling around the country talking to uh, trans people, gender non-conforming people, non-binary people in general, talking about issues that are going on um, in the country and the states that we're traveling in, that I'm traveling in, and also just uh, people's lives, you know, what their beliefs, that sort of thing, religious beliefs, political beliefs, their identity, you know, all that interesting stuff. Um, today, uh, we're going to have a little bit shorter interview. I'm a little bit out of breath at the moment. Sorry about that. Um, I'm also very warm. These masks are incredibly warm. <laughs> when I was wearing masks, I was in Alaska, and it was a lot colder, and uh, I didn't realize how warm they are. They are quite warm. Um, I'm wearing it at the request of my guest here, and I'm totally fine with that. Um, but it's unusual. Uh, most of my videos have not... Uh, been masked, which is fine. I'm totally fine with it. Um, but you do not get to see my goofy expressions anyway. Um, so I'm with a guest today and they are going to introduce themselves in whatever way that they feel comfortable. Um, yeah. Hi. Um, I'm really, thank you for having me here. Um, I, let's see, I'm in the Northeast. I work in publishing. I'm an editor. I'm Jewish. I'm the parent of a trans child. I describe myself as um, gender fluid, gender non-conforming, and mm. pretty non-binary. Um, I am a political radical and activist. Um, I really just have a lot of big opinions about everything. I'm not going to be so happy to... to oh, sorry. Um, yeah. I'm <laughs> we just, both have soft voices, so yeah. we're having to, to come in a little bit. Yeah. I'm um, go ahead and just throw, you know, and I just I'd say I'm embedded in a queer community, in a queer and radical community. Um, yeah, just throw whatever questions you have at me. Okay, what do you mean by radical? <laughs> um, I'd say it. That's a huge question. Radicals yeah. love to talk about what ra it means, but For radical. You. Yeah. yeah. I mean, etymologically, it goes back to roots. And going down back to the root of the problem, I'm an anti-capitalist, I'm an anti-fascist, and I believe that the um, troubles, the problems that we are facing now really as a society and globally go, go very deep and go really to the roots of our economic system. And a lot of our political inequalities have um, economic origins. Mm -hmm. And that we need to look really deeply at the at the roots and origins that got us here. And that, are you talking about uh, slavery and that sort of thing? Um, slavery is definitely part of it. Mm -hmm. I would say that slavery is was ultimately an outgrowth of profit motive and of mm -hmm. like of. Um, of an economy based on resource scarcity and based on capital accumulation. Slavery is an economic instrument that's, um, slavery is an economic instrument that was founded by a wish to extract the ma maximum amount of labor for the least amount of economic output mm. to the benefit of a very small, um, small group of people and then um, the kind of political fiction of race emerged to sustain slavery over 
sustain slavery legally and as a legal and cultural institution. And you can say that, sorry, you can say that about, um, you can say that about a lot of institutions and a lot of outcomes in this global economy. You could say something pretty similar about the climate crisis, which really has us measuring the future of the ecosystem in decades, not centuries. Mm, mm. Yeah, just a few days ago, there was uh, a news story about uh, crab, the crab season up in Alaska being, one of them being canceled because 90% of the crab are missing that would usually be there. And people don't know what's going on yet. And there could be many factors. It could be overfishing. It could be um, basically kind of pirating by another country because some of our zoning in the ocean is not very good and it, there's mm-hmm. no um, um, enforcement of it and that sort of thing. And a lot of people do overfish. Um, historically, there was the cod fishery yeah. off of Canada that also that. Mm-hmm. was overfished and they had to close that down for a long time. And yeah, so yeah, we're coming to something here. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. When it when it hits our food supply, I wonder if people get more of a panic, you know? I mean, I think unfortunately right now with the way that the COVID crisis has unfolded, what we are seeing is people becoming more and more inert to crisis and more and more trying to find a way to live out their normal economic lives amid crisis rather than make make a change Hmm. and so it's the i I wonder if that's like why the prepper mentality is so uh prevalent yeah 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 i mean i think it's good to be prepared and to have skills and build things and you know not depend so much on um a well-stocked grocery store every week. Yeah. Definitely. But I wonder about that sort of panic that's kind of cultural. I mean, you know? I think you can actually tell a lot about people. First of all, I think, yeah, I agree with you that the prepper mentality says something about where, like, where we are in history yeah. and at this moment. But you can also tell a lot about people, like, how what they imagine doing in the apocalypse and, yeah. what, and what's in their emergency yeah. kit. Because you can pretty much map somewhere someone is on the political spectrum if what they're doing is amassing, say, weapons or, like, medicines or what. Yeah, yeah. And then some uh, billionaires, like, um, I'm not even going to mention him, but yeah. there's a, I know who you're talking about already. There's a queer, um, I'm not going to call him queer either, a gay Republican funder. Oh, I who, know who you mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, PT are his initials. Uh-huh. He, uh, he he has a, now a compound in New Zealand. He basically bought citizenship there um, for a certain amount of money, and he is uh, he's building compounds with other billionaires in similar places that are very, quite isolated places. And it's, it's kind of strange. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like some ways dystopian fictions yeah. describe yeah. our current reality more than realist fictions. Mm. One mm. of the one of the literary works that I love so mm. much yeah. is Gabriel Garcia Marquez's oh, Nobel yeah. Prize acceptance speech mm. where he talked about magic realism as being the only way to express the scope of crisis and tragedy is mm. through the language of magic and fairy tales because realism fails to just fails to capture reality right and then i mean he said that also, beautifully but the, like that there's the element of like sadness yeah. and joy at the same yeah. time too yeah. yeah i remember when his books were in everybody's back pocket when i was in my 20s yeah i 
Yeah. I pretty, when I was in my t- very, very, I think, I don't think I was even 20 yet. I was like 18 or 19. Mm. My friend and I hitchhiked to Mexico, which mm. is a bad idea and people shouldn't do it, but we did it and it was amazing. Mm. And I also read 100 Years of Solitude a few, like, like a month or two later. And yeah. that was how I started to study Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. That was the book that was in everybody's yeah. pocket. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. Uh, this was before, like, everybody had their laptops and stuff and, um, you know, it was actually unusual to see people yeah. with laptops and everybody who did have a laptop, like it was a super, one of those super IBM. Like, oh, I remember the super IBM yeah, black like the, the kind hard of army looking laptops. Yeah, yeah, they were hard cased and really thick. And, and it was always for some like high level military engineering. Yeah, they career. all looked like kind of CIA. Always. With those. Yeah, I know. Yeah, what you always, mean. Yeah. always. And then the rest of us weirdos and hippies and punks would be in the whatever coffee shop or yeah. whatever, you know, with our $1 coffee and like looking at them and, but not really. And then just, but mostly just paying attention to other people and flirting and, yeah. you know, trying to figure out what everybody's reading, you know, anyway, the good old days. Woo. <laughs> uh, I can do, I could do a whole interview on like nineties nostalgia. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, it's like, like what? Like what? No, I don't know. I mean, now I, I probably have more interesting things to talk about right now. Oh, of course. Of course. But I'm like, just curious. Yeah. Like no, the bullet just, points. What would be the bullet um, points? Well, I mean, I am also someone who has like completely, completely fail to evolve like in terms of like music and fashion and culture sure i mean i was at work today but normally i wear plaid flannel like it's 1994 and i listen to nirvana i do all that like and i used to be so i still i used to be so like i just hated like these aging hippies i remember Mm. like waitress waiting tables for an alumni banquet and they were terrible they wanted to listen to they were all like divorced from each other and they couldn't be seated at like normal tables because they all hated each other and they like drank way too much and they tried to like buy you know substances that weren't yet legal Mm. off the wait staff sure okay because we were all like 20 and like so there was they wanted to to they wanted to listen to jefferson airplane really annoying and i was just like oh my god this is the worst people ever and like look at me now yeah well also too like the jefferson airplane and like all that those that sort of time period like that music is so overplayed i hate it yeah i know I, I mean, I I think of it as uh, backseat travel music. It, totally. Because when I was a kid, like, that music was playing on the radio, and I was always in the backseat of my dad's car, yeah. and we were traveling somewhere. And so I was just bombarded with it. And it, so I feel like it makes up part of my brain, but I don't want to listen to it anymore. No, and yet, and it's, I, I feel like it's just, like, this mainstream culture industry yeah. that, like, I mean, I... Before I even like self-identified as queer, or I think I was always politically kind of a radical. Yeah. I identified with like alt music and culture, mm. and just knowing that there are like alternatives, I think so it's just like oh, speaking. it's like a lifesaver for so many people who are just like weird in one mm. way or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. Going out to whatever club, like yeah. hole in the wall, and seeing some band. Sometimes they were international bands that would just didn't have a big following or weren't well-known or sometimes it was a local band, you know? Like, yeah, yeah I used to go to, to clubs all the time. Um, as I got older, though, I, I stopped going to clubs just because they're so loud. I can't handle it. I can't, I can't. My friends yeah. are getting married, like, in a couple weeks, and they're going to have a mosh pit. And yeah. I'm like, in a way, I love it, but I don't know if I can do it. You oh, know? no, no, no. Yeah. I was just thinking about that actually last night. I actually got injured once wow. pretty badly in oh, a wow. mosh pit. Um 
Yeah, I jumped off the stage and then kind of nobody caught me. Oh, shit. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's fine. I mean, it was actually a traumatic experience because why didn't people, like, try to catch me? No, that is really, that's like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. That's terrible. Because not even, not only injured, but then there's the not being caught. Yeah, it still feels bad. Yeah. Like, like I got so injured that I felt numb. Oh, that's probably was, like, in a little bit of shock. Yeah. But anyway, um... Yeah, I used to go see a lot of bands. Uh, uh, back then, what, what was kind of like your favorite kind of music? I mean, you... just the like kind of, you know, alt-rock grunge mm, sure. stuff that was happening then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like R.E.M. and kind of that thing. Or... You know, yeah. PJ I mean, Harvey. PJ Harvey, yeah. yeah. PJ Harvey's I, um, awesome. I actually have <laughs> a thing about like the kind of hated women of rock history. Oh, really? Like, you know, Nancy Spurgeon and Courtney Love and mm. like kind of really interested in like these figures these like kind of very high femme figures who are very hated yeah, and like yeah. kind of trying to Yoko Ono would be in yeah there oh too. people have always read the thing is like yeah. I sort of have trouble liking Yoko Ono so I'm like bad that way yeah. too but, but yeah I, but that's like I a don't really like interesting her music but same. she's definitely in there same, same. and obviously yeah and her yeah, yeah. but like yeah exactly like why this hate mm-hmm. kind of and how like these like people kind of form communities based on hatred and don't like recognize it yeah. I think is actually really important and interesting yeah. Well, yeah, and that continues to this day. We see totally. that sort of thing, like uh, with gaming culture, ganging yeah. up on on women, and then they wonder why women don't show up, you know, or um, the the online sort of trolls that go after they, that went over. What was that comedian's name? Leslie Jones. Oh yeah, I've no, I've actually been yeah, looking yeah. at like. Actually, because I've done a bunch of written, you know, calls for papers, and one of the things mm. I've been interested in is like the gender of the troll and how mm. do we understand like trolling through through a gender lens and like through a feminist lens. I mean, I should I work for you know in like kind of ac- feminist academia, oh, okay. But my politics are very much that like. What would that uh, field of study be? That I mean, you're about? a women's gender and sexuality okay. studies. Okay. I would say, though, my my own personal politics are very much that, like, our critique needs to be intersectional in that it needs to Mm. look at gender, but it also needs to look at economic inequality. It needs to look at, like, um, you know, it needs to look at the relationship between the human, at, like, uh, what's the word? human ecology and look mm. at like the relationship between humans and other living things and just yeah. the land. It needs to yeah. look at race. It needs to yeah. look at like um, all the stuff. And so I see gender as a really inextricable um, thread in what, in what like both holds us together and tears us apart, but not as, but it's important to, to me to say, I don't believe that like, the future involves say saying putting cis white women in positions of uh-huh. power right. without dismantling and right. or at least questioning positions of power. Right. Well, and then when you look at some of the most high level cis white women, mm-hmm. they are neoliberal, yeah, or they are conservative, like radically conservative. Oh yeah, and there's and you know so they fit right very well into what's going on right now. Absolutely, yeah. and I think it's really important to, it's a really important object lesson yeah. about co-optation and about how it is that, like, um, about co-optation and how it is that power, yeah, power maintains itself. Right, right. Yeah, just look at Hillary Clinton. I mean, she flip-flops all the time about whether she's going to accept queer and trans people, you know, depending on if it's useful, you know. It's like, 
<laughs> I would never vote for her. You know? I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I voted for her in November 2016 because mm-hmm. she was running against Trump. Sure, sure. Sure. But, you know, I definitely voted for Bernie in both 2016 and 2020 yeah. in the primaries. Uh, so are you a, a fan of Bernie's? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't actually. But if you look kind of like if you step back and look at it, electoral politics have were really developed to keep the populace kind of to have an outlet for for the population's wish for change mm-hmm. that would not lead to radical change. Yeah, yeah. You know, electoral politics funnel people's energies into um, incremental, insignificant yeah. change. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, it's not... And often the money is still the same. It, it remains the same. Yeah. Yeah. And it, they don't... I mean, yes, there are... I mean, yes, there. I, I want to recognize meaningful historical outcomes... But I also don't think that's it's pretty a, rare, though. you know, I mean, I've made yeah. a decision to support activism and to put my time and energy when I'm not working and parenting into supporting activism in the street rather than activism at the voting booth or in, you know, yeah. Congress and what have you. I mean, but I did, I mean, I also realize that's a reflection of the time we're in. My daughter did a term paper. I was helping my daughter with a term mm. paper on the civil yeah, rights movement. Yeah, let's talk about your daughter a bit more. Yeah, I, I can't, mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. just like kind of not say well i mean give me questions and i can sort of answer or not so, because i want to oh sorry i want to respect her i want to yeah, make sure yeah, yeah. like i hold up her on anonymity but just to finish so, so um with my guests they can say whatever they want you know or they can hold back it doesn't really matter to me um just as long as it's you know rele- relevant content and it's not mm-hmm. anti-trans so yeah you're welcome to say whatever you want or not sure i just yeah. want to uphold her anonymity yeah, absolutely and you know respect her privacy just to finish kind of the thought i was saying yeah. is i was helping her with a term paper um and it, about the civil rights movement and i this was kind of right in the wake of the black lives matter movement mm-hmm. but i was really struck by all the legislation and all the change that came out of the civil rights movement and that wasn't happening right around us and i'm interested in what kind of changed politically over the past 50 years to shut down the kind mm. of change that happened then and prevent it from happening now mm. and i don't honestly have an i don't have a a pithy answer that i could get to in in this space of time but i think it's really important that we collectively ask that yeah and study history study movements like the moral majority for instance that shift that that um christianity became very conservative yeah. you know that sort of thing instead of more the hippie love religion you know yeah um that it was previously previously characterized but i mean um, i'll say i don't know if i it's appropriate for me to really talk about christianity because i mean i'm jewish and i've never been christian but it's yeah. un- interesting if you look at the very early history of christianity mm-hmm. during the roman empire Christianity was ultimately kind of an anti-authoritarian, was very much an anti-authoritarian movement. And it was, you know, in this very rigidly authoritarian, stratified society, Christianity was this very... Radically pacifist as well. Radically pacifist, (laughs) radically egalitarian movement that became very popular because it was resistant to, in part, because it was resistant to the, you know, the hegemonic powers in force and the way... The way it was neutralized was that it was co-opted, and yes. so I think what people see and like not maybe like people's spiritual lives, but in political Christianity, is this co-optation rather than the thing itself. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah. you asked you asked about my daughter. Yeah. Um, so your daughter is has a, a non cis non straight yeah. identity. Uh, do you want to talk about that at all? Sure. My okay. daughter is trans. Mm-hmm. She uses she her pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, she is absolutely the light of my life you know i'm a single parent Mm -hmm. she's my person she is brilliant and wonderful i mean i can't say enough good about her but i gotta say you must be a a fucking cool mom (laughs) you know i honestly think that like she gets annoyed sometimes it's some ways it's like i'm political and part of why i've said it's really important to role model but then she doesn't want to be as political because she wants her own life and to do her own thing and to be her own person she's very um, she's both a very gifted storyteller mm-hmm. and she's very gifted like technologically. Yeah. And also to not everybody's strength or yeah. their their tolerance is for street activity. Yeah. Right. Oh, totally. Protest. Yeah. For me, I cannot do that anymore. Mm-hmm. For one thing, I cannot run anymore that well. Same. I cannot I know. Yeah. Run, you know, I'm just I have arthritis. Yeah. But also it panics me. Yeah. I just, it's not a good place No, and I me. completely So I do other that. things. I and do you're doing things. this. Like, this yeah. is really important, what yeah. you're doing right here. Are you involved in any, um, or you, or your daughter, or people that you, involved in any kind of, like, an info shop, or, you know, mutualist kind of um, activity, where you, where you help neighbors, and... I mean, a no. lot of the political work I do that I just don't want to talk about on camera. Okay. It, it's not exactly like mutual aid, but it's very yeah. much, you know, a horizontal political or, and, you know, kind of my whole life is I'm taking calls and kind of supporting people. Okay. I am, you know, familiar with like a lot of the mutual aid groups that sprang up and the kind of solidarity groups that sprang at friends who really have headed those up mm-hmm. during the pandemic. When I was younger, uh, there were, you know, Oftentimes, people who were younger and more physically fit and, you know, whatever, who would often do the protesting. And then there were all uh, oftentimes organizers and, like, um, older people who were offering aid, whether that was legal aid or emotional aid or as a call, you know, if you're in jail, a call out. Yep, just um, A cell, Mm -hmm. a cell of people who can help you. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, some basic first aid kind of stuff. You know, there's all kinds of things that people do. Um, yeah, and I mean, that kind of, my work kind of fits into that universe yeah. without getting yeah. too explicit about it. Yeah. And it's nothing too exciting. I just, there's been like surveillance and targeting of, oh, yeah. of political activists. And Trust I have to me. be mindful of that when video is concerned. Right. Video I've, is concerned. I've, also, I've also been targeted before. Yeah. I had, for six months, there were three police officers' cars right outside my house. There was, wow. I, had, it's like... I, I heard the click of the, t- uh, the, the, um, tap on yeah. my phone when it was a landline. I've had my wow. mail. Right yeah. Through. Yeah, I, yeah. I totally. Yeah, I get it. Um, but also, you know, protests. I mean, that's what Americans do. I mean, it's kind of a thing. And there's been a lot of protests over the last uh, three or four years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we had this potential inflection point in 2020. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, as much as, of course, I was relieved not to have more Trump. In some ways, we were at the cusp of potentially a bigger, much bigger and more meaningful political change mm. with the people pouring out in the streets in 2020 than an election can provide. And so I'm interested yeah. in, you know, and I think, of course, we don't want fascists in office, yeah. and I very much don't, but I also think that the 
that like all the political change that we cherish comes from people being in the streets. I mean, the civil before the civil rights, just for the civil rights act, for one example, to be signed, people had to shut down whole cities mm-hmm. through like civil disobedience and through mm-hmm. political activism. Yeah. And so I don't, and I think that's really historically the only way mm-hmm. that things have ever changed for the better. Yeah. I, I also think that, in fact, right now, I think right now is a, might be a good time for kind of general strike kind of thing, yeah. right? Because maybe during COVID when it was at its peak, you know, there was high unemployment, unemployment, so that wasn't maybe the best time to do something like that. But right now, there are so many jobs out there that are not being filled that workers actually have quite a bit of power at the yeah, moment. I mean, um, so it... If any of y'all are thinking about general strikes and that sort of thing, <laughs> you know, look it up. Look up the history of that. Yeah, in general, I mean, people yeah. in my world, in my sort of social and political world, often talk about that. Yeah. But even even before we kind of pipe dream about a general strike, it's mm-hmm. really important. This I is something I absolutely want to. We're at we're at halfway point. Okay, we're at the halfway point. Yeah. This this is a short interview, so we we put on a timer. Yeah. Okay. So we were talking about like general strikes and that sort of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I just, it's important to also look at and support the incredible labor activism mm-hmm. that is going on right now. I mean, who in particular? Because I'm thinking it's, about the union. Yeah, it is really know, big, but I'm yeah. thinking about like the new, the new labor organizing mm-hmm. with um, Starbucks and Amazon, okay. for example, these huge mm-hmm. companies that yeah. have really changed the whole landscape and changed the economy mm-hmm. and yeah. are now, the workers are changing the companies. And so mm-hmm. even before we kind of dream about it, of course I want a general strike, but I think it's really the way we get there in part is to find your striking Starbucks and get out there and support them. Mm-hmm. Find a Starbucks that's not striking. I when I go there, I usually, like, I got some post-it notes and put them in my wallet, and I'll leave, like, a dollar, a couple dollars, and, like, a, you know, I'll write, like, union power on a um, post-it note. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I was at a star- striking Starbucks, um, like, a month ago, and mm-hmm. everyone gave their name as union power and ordered a oh, fancy drink. And so then the workers were shouting out union power for like macchiatos and That's whatever. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I actually don't even go there because I don't actually like their coffee. It's too bitter for no, me. No, I know. It's not really great coffee. No, it's, yeah. it's terrible. I, I think they don't clean their machines enough and they don't do real pulls, like a real Italian, like espresso machine. No, they, they don't, don't also. They It's like not roasted. No, it's, well. it's gross. Yeah. It's gross. Uh, But I have been in there before, and sometimes when I see somebody who's never been to Starbucks before, and they they try it, and they're like, like they actually pull back, and they're like, ugh. But, um, you know, I have appreciated Starbucks in the past because they did offer good insurance to trans people. Yeah, and in rural places, that's really important, right? For some of these corporations are actually doing some good work by doing that. But I say that as with a huge caveat because I don't like I don't like the big corporations because yeah. they push out the small businesses. Oh, absolutely! But that's right? the thing is that like because because trans healthcare is not considered a right across yeah. the population. Right, people are forced into these really compromised positions yes. because their kind of personhood is is seen as contingent or seen as like a luxury when mm-hmm. it's an absolute right. baseline for personhood. Right, and right. you know like. You can't you can't have trans survival you can't have trans survival without trans healthcare. Yeah. 
You yeah. can't have any, you can't have trans people without trans healthcare. Anywhere you can have any kind of people yeah. without healthcare. And it's um, like, I could not feel it, more strongly about that. It feels like a slow form of torture. Yeah. You know, like, and it's cultural wide. You know? Yeah. I mean, I was just in a meeting today where kind of really opposing publication of an article that I wouldn't even say was transphobic, but was not trans affirming and just mm. talking about. Was it one of those questioning ones or concerned ones? It was a mess. I mean, okay. it's hard to kind of put put something that's a work in progress into any oh, box sure. because what it is was like five bad essays in a trench coat. Mm. So, you know, it's hard to sort of piece out like the author's intention from mm. like talking points that the author's not is perhaps unintentionally unintentionally reiterating okay. and you know the things i edit tend to be long and full of citations and yeah. it's hard to distill them down to a single message yeah. that's a that's a difficult job yeah. especially when when these ideas were right at the growing edge of, yeah. of a lot of that stuff so that's i you know i applaud you for for doing that that's that Thank sounds you. like hard work i mean if i could do my life over i would work in healthcare. absolutely mm. growing up i had a very clear sense that like thou shalt do what thou art good at mm. and that's a much more limited box i now mm. have much more appreciation for just like dogged hard work mm. yeah you know i am actually the opposite about hard work when i was younger i worked so hard and i yeah. i broke my body doing it and wow. and i was often unappreciated and often sometimes even fired because the people above me were were not doing as well as I was doing. Oh, or that's was, tough. I've been in jobs like that yeah, too. That's was, really tough. Or yeah. I was pointing out things that could be yeah. better or something like that. And so um, I've been kind of oppressed by work. I feel like in a very no, I mean, significant yeah. way. So I absolutely yeah. agree. I mean, I think work yeah. is ultimately an oppressive yeah. institution. Yeah. So I try to work as kind of as little as possible yeah. and try to live more. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think that's actually yeah. a really like a powerful organizing yeah. position to take. Yeah, it's it's just how I've done it. Um, but you, obviously, you're not very high-powered, it sounds like. No, God, no. It no. sounds like it, I though. mean, publishing <laughs> is not like that at all. Is it? It's okay. I don't know. wildly underpaid. Like the, oh, the yeah. rate of the salaries and the housing markets where... Um, most right. major publishers are like located in New York, yeah, really, yeah. could not be more out of sync. Right. Like, it's ludicrous. Um, it tends to rely a whole lot on, like, unpaid intern labor. Mm. It's also, it's just not a, when people... Right, and people's passion for the work. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. one of those things mm -hmm. that that gets really exploited. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things people really want to do it, and that gets, and, you know, and that... It's just really, like, when people talk to me about becoming an editor, I usually have to begin with, so what else would you, can you see yourself doing? Mm. Which is often how academics also mm. speak to people. Right. Yeah, because it's so, for one thing, it's so competitive. So it narrows, 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 narrows. But then at the end of that narrowing, there's not much remuneration. No, there's really not. And it's yeah. really, there's not like, for me, I mean, there's not, I mean, I, I'm incredibly lucky because I, I, I'm a compulsive reader and I read mm. interesting material for a living. I feel mm -hmm. like in some, so many ways the luckiest person in the world. Are you also a writer? I have a background okay. in creative writing as well. As I know those in are like, two different things. Yeah, as well as in like rhetoric and philology. Mm. But I don't certainly don't write professionally in any okay. context. I write on my own time a certain mm -hmm. amount. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, 
You mentioned that you're uh, Jewish. Yeah. Uh, how does that play into maybe your radical politics or oh. how you are as a parent? Sure. And maybe maybe even your, um, is it a trans identity that you would say that you have? Or? I think I would say, like, I, I'm I'm not comfortable. I don't feel like I really quite have earned the trans label okay. because I, I experience a lot of cis privilege, even though I okay. don't use, you know, I don't like, it's somewhat... Yeah. I'm not completely cis by any stretch, but sure. like I don't, I kind of don't I feel like, like I like to widen up that yeah. umbrella though. Yeah, Get but I don't feel like possible. I <laughs> like I don't feel like it's appropriate for me to claim okay. that one. Okay, but what I would say really broadly is, I mean, I I didn't grow up with this like with this movement within Judaism, but I identify a lot with the Reconstructionist movement in Judaism, mm. and which is where you will find. Yeah, talk about that. I don't know about that. Sure. That's a smaller, it really was historically an outgrowth of um, the conservative movement. Conservative, not meaning politically conservative, Uh but just conservative with a capital C as one of the main branches within Judaism, within, certainly within American Judaism. Versus? Versus Orthodox or Reform. Okay. But and Reconstructionism was... There's also secular, I believe. Yeah, I mean, secular is not... Secular humanist. That's... Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in some ways, that's not a, that's not by religious Jews don't consider that a movement within okay. Judaism, though so many Jews will identify themselves as secular. Yeah. In some ways, I'm secular and that I'm not. You know, I mean, it's it, it's hard for Christians. You, it's difficult to be, say, as I understand it, to be a Christian and an atheist, but it's not as hard for Jews. Mm-hmm. Like, we find a way to do that. Yeah. Um, Specifically, the Reconstructionist movement, one of the founders was um, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who marched with Dr. King. Okay. Um, Just to give you some history and grounding there. On one of the, um, one of the kind of statements that I love that comes out of the Reconstructionist movement is God is a verb. Mm. And this is this idea that God is not a separate being, is not someone who grants prayers, but rather is kind of the some of our collective goodness and our um, our kind of collective efforts to do good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one of the things that doesn't always translate really well across religious traditions is that when um, is that when the when the Torah, when the scriptures address a you speaking to Jews, it's not really to individual people. Mm. It's to a collective. Yeah, that you know the thou. That we rely on in um, from like the King James Bible, for example, is really a mistranslation because that's a singular pronoun in its original usage, and it's um, that it's really addressed to a collective, mm. and that you know most Jewish practice. I'm so glad that you're yeah. bringing that up because it shows the richness of pronouns yeah, and like how them. they've changed throughout history. Yeah, I don't even know if we have time, but one of my absolutely favorite things I could ever talk about in the Mm. whole world is about pronouns um is about like where is about pronouns as not as content nouns not as function nouns but as a part of speech that are in and of themselves Mm. non-binary 
like I could just go on a whole linguistics tangent yeah, about pronouns. That's complicated. That's deal. complex. Yeah, <laughs> that might be a little bit too. Complex sure, sure. I think I, I would need a little more time to yes. frame it than I have right yeah. now. And it's not a. But that's Is that one the of my... philology part? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Um, is there something more accessible that you could talk about around that that topic, maybe? Well, well, let me just sort of try to say, finish okay. saying the Jewish thing. I'll see if I have time. Okay. I'll try to say it as simply as I can because okay. I've been trying to distill this down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're, it's still it's still in your brain. You're working. Yeah, on I've it. been working on this mm-hmm. this one for a while. So just to finish mm-hmm. this idea, um, we don't is the Jewish, I mean, I would say that, and this is something that a whole lot of people would disagree with me about, but yeah. it's not coincidental that Karl Marx was a Jew. Mm. And it's not, and in some ways that kind of appeal to the collective does come out of Jewish tradition. Mm. That's not, that's basically, it's a radical reinterpret, my, it's what my partner would call a radical reinterpretation of the text. Yeah. In that that's not the way the commonly held understanding in mainstream society. It's very important to me. And it's the way I've been able to make meaningful sense of something that doesn't necessarily read as addressing me and it's, you know, as written. Mm. Well, I, I, when, when you're saying that, I can, I can actually feel that I've, I've read the Tanakh many Uh times. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, Oh, yes. Many, many times. I, I have a degree from Harvard Divinity School. Uh-huh. And that's not, you know, like, oh, let's put a medal on me or something like that. That's not why I read the Bible. That's not why I, I read the, Jew, you know, the, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh. Um, but, I mean, most of the language, at least from what I got gathered from it, is God is speaking to a people. Yeah. I love and, that you understand this. This is yes. really important. It's, yes. I think people who haven't, it takes... It's something that you almost have to be experienced being part of a people yeah. to really understand. I well, love that you're saying that. It, I mean, it, it comes in the Reformation, obviously, with Luther and all yeah. that. The personal you know, I, you know, um, relationship, uh, maybe away from community, you know, I think that's probably where that started. Yeah. Not to get down on Luther. I don't actually know that much about him. But then, you know, in our time, the evangelicals really took that really far of um you know your personal savior and, yeah you I mean, know speaking directly to god yeah and, you know you can i think you can again i mean it's sort of i shouldn't speak too much out of turn because this is yeah. not my tradition but yeah. i think you can see a trajectory from saint paul to luther to the contemporary evangelicals mm-hmm. yeah. as individualizing yeah. a relationship yeah. with divinity mm-hmm. that you know, it doesn't, it's not, I'm not critiquing it in and of itself, yeah. but what I do critique is this notion that there is a Judeo-Christian tradition that yeah. encompasses both because I think that winds up really erasing the erasing crucial differences. Yeah, and it goes from like a community love and yeah. care to more egoism. And we also see that with you know, economies as yeah. well. We were more community-oriented, yeah. I feel like. Yeah. And now we are definitely not. No, and it's definitely, there are people, there are societies contemporaneously mm-hmm. that are much more contem- oh, community-oriented. Yeah. So thinking more about um, the religious part, um, would you say that you're a religious person or you're more secular? Do you... I think I'm, you know, I don't really think, again, I'm. this is a binary I don't really yeah. buy into. I don't think that's the question for me. Okay. I don't think that being secular mean. I mean, in some ways I don't even completely know what either word means mm. because I've thought too much about mm. it. 
And I would I wonder about that as a divide, Have you especially read those uh, studies about like, not studies, but um, I guess inquiries into the sacred and the profane. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm more I'm familiar with the framework. I'm not yeah, sure if okay. I'm if we have the same texts in okay. mind. But I, I mean, I don't know. If for me, that is like that is like a meaningful divide in part because, mm-hmm. as I said, I don't think being Jewish is not really contingent on being a believer. Mm. And I mean, it's very complex to question what it means to be Jewish because it's not it's not an ethnicity and yet it's very much rooted in heredity and family and history. Right, right. And I mean, you know, and so I'm very Jewish identified. Mm-hmm. Am I secular? I don't know. I have a belief system that doesn't really, that kind of skirts around the question of deities and makes that really of secondary importance. I have mm. no idea if that makes me secular or not. It's not practice, an important question. Though? Do you do you go to um, temple? And... I go to temple mm. for the high holy days. I do, you know, my family and I do Passover. Mm. Um, we do Hanukkah. We didn't really do much for Sukkot. Or, you know, kind of holidays like that. But I definitely have like bring Jewish history and Jewish understandings to my thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I definitely do a meaning. I fasted for Yom Kippur mm. and all that. So I definitely yeah. practice to that extent. Yeah, yeah, great. Do you uh, do you find any connection um, with other radicals who are Jewish? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. very much. Yeah. And I, I like within my radical community, mm. we have a like not quite a minion, but we have. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> um, that's wonderful. Um so uh, I guess you know we have to kind of round this yeah. this interview out because we don't have a lot of time. What are you hoping? Um, I hate to use this word, but pragmatically to happen within the next few years. But then also, if you were sort of dreaming of something happening, what would you like to happen here in the U.S.? So two, there's that's kind of two questions. Yeah, you know, I honestly, really, realistically. I don't think it makes sense to hope, given the climate catastrophe. Mm. Um, hope given keep, what, hope keeps people alive, though. Yeah, given, well, I, okay, I, this is a different way to look at it. Yeah. There's a Buddhist parable mm-hmm. that, um, you know how hope was the last thing that emerged from Pandora's box? No. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, first of all, in the Greek mythology, sure. you know, there were all these bad things that came out of Pandora's box, all these curses, and then... Hope came last because to keep people alive and keep people going. Mm. There's a Buddhist parable that hope was actually yet another curse because it gets people attached to outcomes that aren't there instead of what we have now. That's true. I don't know if I am, if I I find it hopelessly depressing to be future oriented because I don't Mm. think we, I think the future is so, the future involves mass extinctions and die-offs. Mm. That's the reality that we are in. I think the human future also involves long COVID on a really, mm. very wide population scale. What I am interested in, this goes back, I think, to what I said before, that um, God is a verb. I'm interested in what we do, not what we bring about or what the end results can be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, my partner says something that I love so much, which is that the last two people on earth will be kind to each other. <laughs> what I want to see is people be, is I believe in radical kindness. 
regardless of the mess we have gotten ourselves into. I want there to be pockets of that. I want there mm. to be, you know, resistant pockets. Yeah. And I would like, my hope is that there can be mass resistance in spite of the bad stuff. Not that there can be a good outcome where people don't have to resist. Because I don't remotely expect to see that in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Kind of um, like how you're saying to go to that local Starbucks protest or yeah. to, to support the, that local movement it's kind of like local cells of kindness or something or or good yeah, work. i just think that i would just you know i think people need each other to yeah. act with kindness and i want mm-hmm. people to find each other yeah there's a just to make it jewish in the end um there is a parable that the people who you know when following the exodus from egypt uh-huh. the jews wandered the desert for 40 years yes. The people who were in the Exodus never made it to the promised land. And one of my best friends and I talked a whole, whole lot about it. And I actually think that people who experience a crisis and are revolutionaries who kind of make an Exodus happen, they didn't just get sprung from Egypt, they got out, tend to be an absolute just quivering balls of PTSD. Mm. And not necessarily people who really can rebuild a society. I. Would like Sometimes to... it, it leads to bad activism too, yeah. unfortunately. It does. And I yeah. mean, revolutionaries make horrifically bad yeah. Yeah. governors. I mean, yeah. Robespierre, Toussaint, Richard, we can go on and on. Yeah. Um, I'm but, thinking of just people I know who yeah. sometimes they will get autoimmune diseases just because yeah. they've taxed themselves so much, yeah, taken absolutely. on too much responsibility. Absolutely. But I guess yeah. for me, anyway, I don't. I'm not, I don't think it makes sense to look for the promised land. I'm looking for the exodus. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sure. That, that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, as a follow-up question, though, when I was talking about sort of the dreaming part, okay, leaving that part behind, which is wonderful. I, I totally get you, and I'm hearing yeah. that. That's the, really, that's the realism view. That's the realistic view. Um, if you were to just dream, just scatter all that stuff that you were just talking about. Um, if you were to dream about large scale change that we could do, um, just, I'm, I'm just thinking like Green New Deal. I mean, that's pretty mainstream, uh, you know, stuff like that, uh, land trusts, uh, intentional communities, that sort of thing. What do you what what would you like for people to yeah. to be doing? I mean, like I on don't. A yeah, no, scale? and I mean, again, I don't really like just paint like utopias dreaming. in my head. But if but a laundry list that I would say yeah. is one, a radical redistribution of resources, and also though How? beyond that, How? revolution. Okay. But beyond that, I think it's important to stop seeing things as resources. Okay. To stop seeing the earth as a resource. Mm. You know, I mean, I support the land back movement. Mm. That okay. is, sorry, let me just, no, that's not my daughter app, but I'm going to have to call her soon. Um, I support the land back movement, mm-hmm. and that means refusing to see land as a resource. Yeah. And land is part of and belongs to indigenous communities, mm-hmm. and land you know, remains kind of broken in, in the Americas, in stolen land, it remains this ununified part of these communities. And yeah. so it's not just resource redistribution, it's questioning the, it's questioning the notions of resource, the yeah. notion of resources. Um, and I'm interested in, in that kind of a radical punk rock ecology hmm. that I would say. Um, and I mean, I, 
question. Sometimes I don't really identify. It sounds with like me. very anarchist, like a prudent, like yeah. uh, not having property. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm getting not, rid of that kind of idea. I do. I mean, I don't. I don't actually really practice. Um, prescriptivist politics mm-hmm. this notion that like in order to be a leftist you have to have a plan mm. for what kind of government you want to have or what kind of yeah. lack of government you yeah. want to have i think it's really important to also practice engage in political modesty mm. and to i know i can what do you mean pro- by modesty what is well that? i mean i why is it up to me Mm. to dictate the plan for the entire world. Yeah, yeah. I can have... But you're a, somebody who might have some good ideas. I have a... And honestly, I do think I have an intelligent and well-thought-out and well-researched critique mm-hmm. of where we are now. Yeah. I don't have any claim to be a visionary for the future. I think mm-hmm. it's really important that people step back from that mm. and... Um, work together across like, is that just too big of a problem too big too i big? think in some ways if you look historically prescriptivist politics get people in trouble mm. it gets you to um an and end, and a means mean, just of you know a prescriptivist means you have prescribed the answer as okay. communism you prescribe sure, sure. the answer as anarchism yes, yes. you prescribe the answer as say a some kind of perfect idealized capitalism it doesn't what have you and then you're working toward this goal that you see you're working sure. toward you know, you're working in the interest of a vision. I don't, I think it's more, I'm more interested in how we get there than where we get. Okay. I'm interested in the process. I'm interested in how we, how we are in the world toward each other. I agree with that, actually. I, you know, I've sort of, my latest mantra recently is I want to do what helps. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that might look different than what I thought of yesterday or something. Yeah. I feel like, I just, I, you know, go with the flow. I mean, that sounds kind of dorky, but you know, it's not really going with the flow. It's, it's, it's matching what's going on and making a a good choice. I think in some ways it is better to be guided by principles for action Mm. rather than by goals for getting to a place because those can drive, those can drive radically different. Those can like very quickly create radically different diverging decision patterns yeah and oftentimes that sort of thing can become very exclusive you know exclusive in language exclusive in who has access you know that sort of thing like i'm just thinking of um some things i've heard online with socialists and and communist circles having a certain kind of language that they use but other people might be interested in what they're doing or being involved but maybe they don't want to use that kind of language or no or and I, I mean I've heard that critique know? the yeah. other side of it though and I'm not mm. I'm saying this not really to like disagree with you yeah but just because I think it's very funny is that my understanding anyway is that police departments have largely given up on infiltrating anarchist communities oh, because the amount of reading required to <laughs> like um, sure. to pass is prohibitive well, also, the FBI sort of famously gave up on, uh, you know, researching a- a- Antifa groups because they were, they are not really hierarchical. They're yeah. more cellular. Yeah. So it was, it's like a different thing that they're not used to. Yeah. yeah. Very, very, I mean, that's why anarchists do that besides the egalitarian issue there. Yeah. But I mean, again, you have to look at like, Exclusivity and inclusivity. Inclusivity is incredibly important, and I try to be that way in all my. But I, you mm-hmm. also understand. Yeah. There also are, are these risks in the world we're in. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, something that I that I try to do a lot, which I don't know, it, it helps me is to think about how neoliberal language, just thinking about language again, uh, has gotten into how I pattern my beliefs. Like for instance, um, if I were to think of you as a friend, I would think, oh, how much time have we spent together? Yeah. How much value are you to yeah, me? Yeah. Uh, how much have I put in the bank? People even use that kind of language. How, yeah. how much do we have in the bank? And that's going to determine our friendship. So I, I try to think of that like every day. You know? No, I mean, and that kind of problematic banking thing, mm. like um, educators talk about that a lot. Really? Like Paolo yeah. Freire, who is, a, who is a popular, the great popular educator, mm. um, talked about the traditional education model is banking, where children are kind of a vault, mm. and you bank right. information into right. them. Right, right. And it doesn't, you know, in that, they're not seen at all as participants in their own education. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of social work is like that, too. Like, they will put emphasis only on children and forget about people who are older who maybe have experienced damage in their yeah. lives. Like, it becomes a cost-benefit kind of thing. Yeah, so I mean, strange. social work is so very... Strange. I, I want to be careful because amazingly good work is done within sure, social work, sure. but there are strains of social work that are you know, kind of um, seen as a softer, more palatable alternative to mm. policing, mm. but wind up do, doing the work of policing. Oh, really? Oh, I don't know that. I mean, again, I don't know if I should, this should even be record, you know, included because I'm not, I'm criticizing a profession that I, in which I don't, um, that I don't, like, practice. Yeah. But, for example, like Child Protective Services, mm. there are absolutely horrific things that happen, mm. but ultimately there are also a lot of, family breakups that do not need to happen and if you look at um if you look at kind of people's mental health and people's sort of well-being across a population basis like breaking up families things like the family um things like the family separations that happened under the trump administration which you know i could just do a whole interview on that the the immigrants that were coming yeah exactly these these four civil families and also in Texas with trans kids. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is something, once we turn off the mic, I have a yeah, question for you, yeah. actually. But um, By the way, I was awarded the state of Texas, and that really informs wow. my my worldview. Yeah, wow. So <laughs> yeah, once we turn off the mic, this thing I want to ask you about. But like, I want to risk, you know. Yeah, sure. Um, but like the kind of familiar and cultural rupture wind up being such a crisis that you can trace it in the epigenome yeah it Mm. gets into people's genes that's how bad it is yeah and i grew up in alaska and there are people our age who were put into boarding schools taken away from their 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 families and you know what they do they come to the school board meetings and the various meetings that the city has and no matter what the topic is they actually talk about that stuff. Wow. That's on, incredibly powerful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just sit there absolutely stunned at what these, these ladies are saying. And they just go for it. And it's lovely, too, because the counselors and the, the people behind the desks, you know, people with the power, they let them just go, yeah. which is wonderful. They, I, I'm so glad that they don't stop them. They just go, go, go. Yeah. So it's it's something that they're still, people are still dealing, dealing with in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 
Anyway, so I think that's probably a, a good yeah. place to end. We talked definitely a lot about a lot of stuff. I there. love this. It was so much fun. Thank you for the <laughs> opportunity. It's, it's too bad that we have kind of this time structure, uh, structure because I felt like we could have gone in so oh, yeah. many directions, but then it's like, oh, we have to think about time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, once you turn off the mic, there is something I want to ask you. Okay. But like, <laughs> what's it like to be in a family with two basically queer? Non-binary trans people, I guess. That's really, I thought you were going to ask me about that the whole time. It's so funny. Um, I don't know any other way to be. Yeah. Like, it, to me, it what it has to do with a lot is like, oh, my God, my daughter doesn't want to wake up. She doesn't want to start her homework. There are, like, moths in my apartment, and I can't get uh, them out. It's just like real life. Just the mundane stuff I mean, life. you know, it's like yeah. real life. Yeah, yeah. I, I realize that we have, like... A bubble and that not everyone mm. has this and it's just it's very sacred to me i feel mm. very like protective of us both mm. but honestly like our day-to-day lives are so boring mm. uh, so much of what we talk about is like we have we have a tiny tiny apartment like like we're always like you know it's like where's my sweatshirt why is this on the floor have you started your homework <laughs> sure. we're yeah. late yeah you know like that's our it's just normal life it's normal yeah. You know, it seems like though there's probably like I don't know I don't even know how to just how how I would even describe it because my family life was so different. But I would think if if I had queer people in my family that I knew, I would feel like safer in the world, maybe or more access to information or. No, I mean I think I definitely. I mean I didn't. I grew up feeling very different, feeling really, really alienated. To some extent from my family, but very profoundly from the larger community. Mm. And I realize my daughter also experiences a lot of alienation in different ways. And I mm. try to, I feel like it's my great work to limit that. Like yeah. I'm fighting against sort of walls of alienation everywhere. Mm. And like, I do think, yes, we have this commonality. And yeah. And it, every, seem, it seems like that's what the government and these sort of radical um, conservative, social conservative groups are doing is what they're doing is they're isolating trans people, yeah. isolating them away from communities, away from education, away from healthcare, away from their families. I mean, they're doing it systematically. That's really, step really important. And also like kind of just depriving people of all these things yeah. and of all these forms of recognition Sports. makes yeah. it harder for people to find each other. Yeah. And that gets back to everything I was saying. Community is how people survive. Yeah. And not even just community with people who are similar, but yeah. just the larger community yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, with my daughter, I do see, even though my extended family, I love my extended family, they are accepting, but they haven't, it's not somehow as deep of an accept, as like a normal as it mm. is for us. Mm. I mean, my daughter, we just, you know, we just have these little moments where sometimes I'll be like, hey, um, do I look good to go to, to this meeting for work? And she'll be like, no, that's not a mask enough look for you. You know, go back and put on that button. I'm sure you have. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Luckily for me, I had a cool uh, auntie, mm-hmm. Aunt Glow. Oh, right, she yeah. was a rocker. Oh, that's she amazing. Had, she had a firebird. Oh, I love it. And she she had a big purse that had those big rivets in it. I love it so much. That could that thing could be like a weapon. Yeah. Like totally a weapon. Anyway, she she knew she had heard she like I came out to her when I was a teenager and that was before the bad things happened. And some bad things. And just her being, Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's cool. I mean that I kept that with me. 
for that's a really a, that's long wonderful. time. But see, that's yeah. what, again, that's like queer family. And that, yeah. so many people have those stories. Yeah, and she's not queer, and she's she's just like this rocker lady. I love know? it so much. That's an amazing story. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm actually, I thought, thought about her today. I might try and look her up. She yeah. lives in my grandpa, grandparents' old house. Yeah. So anyway, I'm going to be passing through there, maybe, yeah. if I'm brave enough. <laughs> I bet she'd be incredibly proud of you. Yeah, well, we'll see. Before she was like, hey, that's cool. So she'll be that way now. <laughs> now I have a beard and, yeah, you know, it's all whatever. Good. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, thank you so much for, yeah. for talking with me. Um, I know you have a busy schedule. It took a really long time for us to be able I know. to We had this forever, like, going back. But, yeah, it was yeah. such a pleasure to meet yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And if it's... you want to look me up, like, when you're back in town. Yeah, yeah, I'll be I'll be here to, uh, again in a few weeks. I've been accessing healthcare here in uh-huh. Massachusetts, which is yeah, it's, okay. I, it's rated as some of the best in the country. So might as yeah. well take advantage yeah. of it. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. My pleasure. I appreciate it, and um, yeah, it's so nice to hear like a, a really radical yeah. uh, perspective, and also this uh, even a critique within radicalism. Yeah. Which I love that. I love that. Yeah. So. All right. As soon as you turn the mic off, I have one more question for you. you.